Conversation is one of the threads that serves to define who we are and who we are becoming. This is true whether you're talking at a personal or an institutional level, and whether we're having a conversation with a close friend or a partner, or a closely knit team or tribe, or even a broader community. In conversations of the highest order, change, improvement, and even innovation have an opportunity to take hold. On an average day, the average adult engages in more than 30 encounters that last multiple minutes. This doesn't count the number of conversations that we might be prone to have inside our own heads. So our goal here is to break away from the same old conversations and to explore the idea of having better conversations. What do they sound like? How do we nurture them? And how do we move from better conversations into action? Welcome into Chasing Better Conversations. Roger Hayes has spent more than 35 years closely advising law firm management and legal service providers. His career is highlighted by consistently providing the counsel and the leadership that's necessary to successful law firm transitions. A handful of benchmarks from Roger's career include having managed multiple large-scale law firm mergers or acquisitions, advising and facilitating implementation of new compensation programs, directing the smooth divestiture of non-performing offices, and maybe most notably, leading the most successful out-of-bankruptcy wind-down of an AmLaw 100 firm in history, including the transition of lawyers to new offices and the resolution of liability issues. I know you're going to enjoy today's conversation with Roger Hayes. Today's kind of a special day for me because our guest is a longtime friend and colleague, uh, Roger Hayes. Roger and I worked together for several years back in the early 2000s at a law firm based in Dallas, Jenkins and Gilchrist, and have maintained um, a working relationship and uh, a friendship. And Roger, thanks for, thanks for uh, joining us today. Well, Eric, it's great to see you. I think uh, it's been a while since we've seen each other. The last time I think we were together was the Austin City Limits Festival down in Austin, which was a great time, great music, and, and we had a lot of fun together. So it's good to see you. And as we record this, we're missing South by Southwest. Well, you can't have everything. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Roger, you are about to take more than just a little walk. Tell us a little bit about that before we get into uh, some other topics. You're, you're about to hit the Pacific Coast Trail. How, did, uh, how long is the trail? How long will you be gone? Tell us what led to this. Yeah, the, uh, well, first of all, the, the trail is called the Pacific Crest Trail. And the trail begins, uh, I guess, depending on which direction you're going, whether you're going north to south or south to north, uh, goes from Mexico to Canada, so I will be starting on the border of Mexico, just uh, about an hour east of San Diego, and hiking 2,650 miles north to the Canadian border, or just across the Canadian border. And if all goes well, the hike will take me a, 
about five months. So I'm, I'm really excited about the hike. Five months and you're going by yourself? Yeah, I'm going by myself. Uh, the, the, the hike requires a long distance permit, which is issued by the Park Service. And so it's a little difficult to get two people leaving exactly on the same date. Uh, but notwithstanding that, that difficulty, I couldn't find another person that wanted to give up five months to hike with me anyway, so it didn't really matter. <laughs> so what's a day like? in these five months? Well, you know, um, every day is different in some ways and every day is the same in some ways. Um, certainly the scenery and things and people you may run into vary from day to day, but fundamentally every day is also the same in that you get up in the morning, get a little something to eat, pack up your tent, get everything packed in your backpack, and then you walk the rest of the day until at the end of the day, you unpack your backpack, put your tent up, get a little something to eat, go to bed to get ready to do it all over again. <laughs> so um, that's your typical day. Average day, how far will you walk? I think I'll probably average about 20 miles a day. Um, probably start a little slower than that and probably do a little more than that once I get as far north as Northern California or Oregon, those days maybe 25 or more mile days. So you're leaving in mid-April? I'm leaving in mid-April. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go out to San Diego. Uh, my youngest son lives out there and my wife and I are gonna go visit with him for a few days and uh, he and he and she will take me over to the southern terminus of the Pacific Crest Trail, and I'll start hiking from there. Just wave goodbye to them, and I'll be off and running. So I'm glad you corrected me. Uh, I have been calling it since I knew you were going to do this, the Pacific Coast Trail, which tells you how schooled I am in this in all things related to these long walks. Well, it is on the Pacific coast, so <laughs> in some ways you were right. Um, so the, the, today's, this podcast about conversations, you're about to enter five months where will you have conversations? You know, it's an interesting thing. Um, I would expect I'll have stretches where there'll be a number of days where I literally won't see another person, and then there'll be other days in which you run into other hikers or I'll get off the trail for a resupply and, and talk to people at the resupply locations. But a lot of the time is going to be all by myself. Well, it's fascinating. Um, and before we sign off today, we'll give you the opportunity to tell people how they might be able to follow along or at least keep up with progress as you make it. The switching gears to uh, professional matters, you, if I'm not mistaken, if I remember right, you went to work for a law firm right out of school. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, my final year of college, final semester of college, I was up in Illinois, and uh, I thought I was gonna go to work for either a finance company or um, 
a CPA firm or brokerage firm, you know, somebody in directly in the financial industry. And I had, I've forgotten exactly how many now, but 12, 13, 14 interviews with those kind of firms lined up in Dallas. And uh, one of those firms who didn't need any help at the time knew of a law firm that was looking for their first controller. And that firm contacted me and said, as long as you're going to be in Dallas, why don't you come by and visit with us? And uh, I did that with zero expectation. I'm not sure I even knew such a thing as a law firm existed at the time um, and had no expectation that that's what I would end up doing. But after visiting with all of the public accounting firms and financial services firms, and that law firm, I was most intrigued by the law firm, and in particular was, was sold by the people that I interacted with during the course of, of that interview. And uh, so, yeah, I ultimately made the decision to, to go to work for a law firm straight out of school. And I, I didn't, I should have, you alluded to the fact you, were, you thought you'd get a job in finance. Your, your training, your professional training was... Uh, as a C, as a as a finance guy, yeah, finance yeah. finance and accounting both yeah. um, is what I had studied and what I thought I was going to do. Yeah. So uh, looking back on uh, that experience, um, are there any conversations that really stood out? You mentioned it was the people that attracted you to the law firm. Were there conversations that stood out? And were there conversations that uh, you've selectively forgotten? You know, it's interesting. There, I remember well the interviews and the discussions I had with that law firm, and I'll get back to that in a minute. But the at the other end of the spectrum, one of the CPA firms I interviewed with, um, I knew I didn't want to do audit work, and they. And I told them I didn't want to do audit work, but they spent the entire time in the interview explaining to me why I really wanted to do auditing work and how happy I'd be doing auditing work in their firm. And that that's the only thing that they had available was as an auditor. Um, <laughs> so I didn't find that all, all that compelling. Um, but on the other hand, I, I was really, really struck by the family orientation of that law firm and just not only how warmly they interacted with me, but how they interacted with one another. And it, the organization just screamed of a family or family oriented organization. And I was uh, I was really attracted to that and was really never sorry that I decided to do that versus trying to convince myself that I wanted to be an auditor. And you you stayed in the legal arena your entire professional career. Yeah, I stayed in. I held a variety of positions uh, from controller, administrator, um, chief operating officer, all within, within inside the law firm environment. And then, uh, gosh, when was it? It must have been 2004. I decided to start a consulting practice. I wanted a little more flexibility in my life and uh, sort of wanted to be on the other side of the table and, and advise law firm leaders on issues, business issues principally that uh, 
I knew that they, they were having difficulty with and that I was interested in working with them on. So really, th that sets up, that just kind of documents your bona fides. You, you, you've spent uh, your entire professional life in uh, the management side of law firms and consulting with other professional service organizations. I'm curious what you, are there a couple of conversations that are missing as firms today look at the marketplace, notwithstanding maybe economic uncertainty that, uh, that looms at the moment? We'll come to that more specifically in a minute. But what, given your experience, are there conversations that ought to be taking place that just aren't? Yeah, one of the things that we see that is so often uh, not clear within an organization is, you know, what are we seeking to be? Who do we want to be? Who are we? Um, really, at the core of an organization, you know, what is there you know, to use um, sort of some business consulting terms? You know, what are their values? Uh, what do they believe in? Where are they trying to get and how do they intend to get there? And um, those conversations, interestingly enough, um, very often don't occur among partners in law firms. And the organizations have a, a tendency to continue to evolve and, and grow without bringing clarity to those really, really important issues. Would you hazard a, a uh, would you speculate on why the conversations don't take place much? Yeah, I think to some extent um, it's a lack of awareness. Um, you know, by and large, lawyers are really, really bright people, um, but their orientation isn't based in business. Um, very rarely do you find a lawyer that's you know, establishing their own firm or coming together with some colleagues to create a new firm that have been directly involved in the running of an organization of any type. And uh, so I think it's just a lack, of, a lack of awareness in many cases. So any, any other, you mentioned the, the attraction of the conversations that, that seemed, the firm seemed family oriented, that was attractive to you. Is there anything on the, uh, for lack of a better term, the, the human side, the HR side of the conversation, of the uh, discussion where conversations aren't taking place? Yeah, again, I think, I, I think it's a matter of, you know, bringing some definition to who you want to be and uh, it, it sort of evolves a little bit into some economic issues in the current environment, but um, what kind of employer do we want to be? And I, I guess there's not a right or a wrong answer to that question, but, you know, the, the spectrum ranges from we are very, very disciplined and careful about people that we bring into our organization, and we will do what we can do to treat them like family members almost no matter what the organization is facing. That's a type of organization. Um, there's also organizations that are driven almost exclusively by the bottom line. 
how much money can we make no matter the consequences. And um, so bringing a little definition to where you and your firm are on that spectrum of types of organizations I think is really important, particularly as the organization begins to experience the stresses of change, whether those are internally driven changes or changes that are forced on you by the economy or your clients. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the current economic realities. There are frequent headlines these days as as we record this that uh, about firms that are um, taking measures to maybe maybe preventative in nature, but uh, uh, reductions in force, um, a number of different approaches. Are there conversations that aren't taking place in that context that would be helpful, you think? Yeah, I think, I think again, it's, uh, in, in my experience, the majority of the law firms that you read about that are downsizing because either they're seeing a short-term um, restriction in the volume of work that they're seeing, or in other cases, just fear that that's where their business base is headed. They're, they're fearful of a fall off in revenue. And the knee-jerk reaction that I think is, gosh, in a huge percentage, maybe 90-plus percentage of the time, um, is, gosh, things look like they may be getting tough. Um, let's reduce our expenditures, and the quickest way to uh, reduce expenditures in a law firm is to reduce your headcount, and so you see them starting to terminate uh, associate lawyers, of counsel lawyers, and staff personnel, uh, all in a hope to prevent what might be a very short-term blip in in a, in revenue. Um, and and I think in most of the cases. What never occurred preceding those decisions is there was never a conversation among the partners of um, in the event that things look like they're going to turn down or in the event that things do turn down, what kind of employer do we want to be? Do we want to put money in front of relationships? And if so, to what extent? Or do we want to avoid that? to whatever reasonable cost we can avoid it. And if so, bring some definition to that discussion as well. Yeah, so maybe maybe there, maybe there's a right and a wrong, maybe there's not a right and a wrong, but in any case, what, what you're suggesting is some intentionality, some uh, specific direction, making decisions based on a direction that you've chosen. Yeah, unfortunately, I think, um, the choice was never made. Uh, what kind of organization do we want to be and how do we, given that, how do we want to handle the potential disruption in our business base? Instead, there is more of a knee-jerk reaction without really, I, I think in many cases, understanding or having an appreciation for the collateral damage associated with, with those short-term decisions. This 
bleeds into a, a topic that's always fast that's fascinated me for years, and that is the part of the reason there is the pressure, at least correct me if I'm wrong, from from the cheap seats, part of the reason uh, such intense pressure is felt by law firm management is there's rarely a cushion to fall back on. In January and February of 2023, uh, looking out at uncertainty, how many firms had much of a cushion to allow themselves that would allow them to make decisions for the long term as opposed to the to the short term. Um, am I right there or correct me if I'm wrong? Yeah, I think there's two ways to look at that question. One is uh, what I would call capital. What's the capital reserve that that a law firm has over time, the investment that they've made in their firm to weather fluctuations, that fluctuations may, may be growth. Growth is expensive. Uh, or a downturn like we've been talking about. And as a general rule, the capital base in a law firm is thin. Um, in many cases, very, very thin. Uh, the other question is that as a firm looks forward and is facing decisions today, to some extent, they may look at their capital base as a short-term answer to weather the storm and maybe decrease the collateral damage that they may be causing from layoffs and that type of thing. But the other option they have is to say, you know, we collectively made, you know, pick a number, we collectively made a million dollars a partner last year or $700,000 a partner last year. And it looks like there may be some economic disruption. And given the kind of firm we are, we're willing to suffer a picket, 10% reduction in that in 2023, rather than lose valued employees. Uh, so that's, that's the two options. The money's got to either come from the near-term paycheck or the money's got to come from capital. And as I mentioned, capital bases are traditionally very thin. Yeah, yeah. If any, any have have we exhausted that, or is there a, any other facet to that conversation that you think would be helpful? Because I suspect there are management teams having this conversation right now. Well, I'm certain that management teams are having the conversation about. What are we going to do to reduce expenses, either because they're seeing a decline in revenue or they're fearful of a decline? In, that, that, that's happening today with certainty. Whether they're also talking about how do we feel about that as it pertains to our people and the commitment we made to them when we hired them, I don't think that conversation is happening very often. Yeah. Do, you, do you think this is a little bit off topic? Maybe and maybe not. Do you do you think uh, there's conversations to be had around products and services and the way we take them to market that could be more profitable and help mitigate some of what might where we might be looking at um, a decrease in gross revenue 
uh, if we go to market slightly in a slightly different way, we can offset that? Yeah, that's another conversation that I think should occur, but I believe rarely occurs. And, you know, I don't want to come across like um, I'm down on or critical of lawyers as a group. You know, I've, my entire career has been associated with lawyers and they're by and large great people, those that I've known. Um, and they're good at what they do and there's some common things among lawyers. <laughs> but as a group, I don't think you would call them innovators. Uh, lawyers, as a general rule, are not innovators. It's one of the reasons you've seen uh, the, the development of services coming out of the third-party uh, service providers in the legal industry, typically not driven by lawyers, but by people, business people that see the issues that lawyers are facing and are coming to market with um, superior, more cost-effective solutions. Um, so again, I think it's, it's not likely you're going to see that conversation generated internally unless the leaders of that organization seek outside help to look at packaging what they do and the talent they've got and how it can be brought to market in a different way to help address the problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I will echo your uh, the desire to not come off bashing. Yeah, I, I worked for great lawyers and and some great firms and uh, appreciated the experience completely. Um, the, the purpose, what we want to do here is entertain, um, is there, I, I believe innovation begins with a new conversation. Uh, progress begins with conversations that aren't the same conversations we've always had. So that's, that's our goal here. And I, I, I appreciate you, you bring a wealth of experience that I think, um, I think our audience can can learn from. Uh, it, it, we talked a little bit before uh, we turned on the the uh, recorder, but any other anything else on this general topic that we haven't touched on that you had walked into the room thinking you wanted to talk about? Yeah, I think um, maybe something that, to the extent your listeners are are lawyers and business law firm business leaders. Um, a thought to be entertained is th there are no professionals in any profession in the world that, that own all the knowledge and intelligence associated with how to successfully grow any business. And I, I would encourage all law firm leaders to reach out and, and get some assistance in facilitating, as you, as you described it, the need for a new discussion. Um, are there different ways that we can approach the marketplace that will help us be more successful um, to get some third party help to to drive that conversation is something I think all smart business leaders should consider. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good good note for us to uh, to conclude with. Uh, I want to thank you again for uh, taking the time to sit down today and share with folks who are listening and who are interested in 
uh, better conversation inside law firm management. If folks want to um, keep the conversation with you going, uh, and in particular over the next five months plus, um, how can they do that? Yeah, a couple things. One is uh, I'm easiest to reach through our website, which is hayesllc.com. That's H-A-Y-S-E-L-L-C.com. Um, but I've also got um, a YouTube channel that people can go to, and it is Roger on the PCT 2023. Again, that's Roger on the PCT 2023. And I'm going to be putting up videos uh, with any luck at all weekly starting uh, probably the first or second week of April. And uh, I'd encourage all of you to follow along. We will follow with bated breath. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again, Roger. Thank you, Eric. Take care. I have three takeaways from our conversation with Roger today. Number one, better conversations may begin when we're willing to come to grips with the idea that we don't have all the answers to expect that uh, leaders in any situation have the breadth of experience and knowledge base to uh, come up with all of the answers to every challenge is blatantly ridiculous. So it begins, better conversations begin when we acknowledge that. Secondly, having acknowledged that, the key to better conversations may be to bring in, to ensure that we're bringing in people with a breadth of experience in the areas where we're uh, maybe not quite as strong. And then the third takeaway is Roger's conversations for the next five months will be very limited as he enjoys the solitude uh, hiking the PCT, and it will be fun to follow him. Thanks very much for joining us for Chasing Better Conversations today, and uh, we'll see you next week.